Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. Celebration was good. How you guys doing? I think we can do a little bit better than that. Celebration, how you guys doing? You guys doing good? I got to tell you that I believe that the atmosphere is set for God to do something so significant tonight. I truly do believe the way that you ushered in the presence of God with your surrender and, and with your worship, I truly believe that, that tonight could be the night that changes everything. I believe that God is in the midst. I believe that God is going, to, is going to speak to some of us tonight in such a way that when we leave this environment, we are not going to return home the same ways in which we came. I believe that there's an anointing in this place where chains are going to be broken. I believe that there's favor in this place that doors that had previously been closed are going to begin to open. I believe that there's healing in this place that people that have heard negative reports are going to walk out of here healed. I believe that the power of the gospel is going to go forward and people are going to say, I had an encounter with God and I'm going forth and it's changed my walk. It's changed the way that I pray. It's changed the way that I praise because I had had an encounter with God. We don't have to usher it in in any other way. We're just with our belief and with expectation. Celebration. Do you believe that God is going to move in here tonight? I want to I jump in because I think that there's going to be some space for us to, to do some worship and some ministry at the end. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to, to join me in Genesis chapter 50. We're going we're gonna to read through a couple of verses and we're going to pray and see what God um, is going to do. But before I go any further, I'll, I'll be remiss if I didn't shout out our amazing lead pastors, Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry Weems. Can we show some love for our incredible lead pastors? We just, had the, we just had the privilege of, of, of spending some time with them over the past three days and just hearing them unfold the vision and dreams that God has given them. And all I got to tell you guys to do is buckle up and get ready. I truly believe that the best is yet to come. God is still moving. He is not done yet. And we're just going to buckle up and see God move um, in this upcoming seasons. So I'm so grateful to be with you guys. But if you have your Bibles, let's, let's jump right in. Let's jump right in because I'm excited about what I believe God's going to do here um, tonight. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, it says, as this, it says, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land, the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You know, if we, if we skip over about 13 chapters into Exodus chapter 13, it's, it's just a couple of pages over, but actually about 400 years have passed since Joseph has said these words, and now we're entering into Exodus 13. The Bible says it this way. It says at Exodus 13, um, verse 19, it says, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones with you from here. We're seeing this, this, this emphasis again of, of God's going to visit you, 400-year gap, but, but Moses took the bones with them as they were finally leaving Egypt. Now we're going to flip over to our, our, our final verse for tonight, and that's in Joshua chapter 24, looking at verse 32. About another 45 years have passed since um, we hear about Moses taking the bones, and it says this. It says, and as for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought out of Egypt, 
they buried them in Shechem, in the piece of the land um, that Je Jacob had bought for his sons, um, Amar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. And it became an inheritance for the descendants of Joseph. I want to talk to us for a few moments about the traditions that we carry with us and how they can establish a legacy that will set up the next generation. I've entitled this message, What's in the Bag? What's in the bag? Let's, let's pray and see what God wants to do. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for what you're doing in this place, God, and we know that you are with us. For your word declares that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you are in the midst. So, Father, I pray that you do what only you can do. I pray over the next few moments, God, that we have open eyes that we can see you. There's so many things that would love to obstruct our vision, but God, I pray that we lift our eyes up and see you through it all. God, I pray for open ears that we can hear you. Amongst all the insecurity, the fear, the doubt, the lies that the adversary would love to whisper into our ears, God, I pray that we can, we can navigate through it all and hear the still, small voice of you telling us to come close. But God, I also pray for open hearts that we can receive the seed of your truth. Allow us to be transformed in a single moment, God, because you've deposited something inside of us that's meant to be activated in advancing your kingdom. Father, we pray and declare and believe all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. What's, what's in the bag? You see, most of us are, are familiar with the, the idea of, of hand-me-downs of some sort. Maybe you have an older sibling, a younger sibling, but you probably have in, uh, encountered in some way when you've had to like be the recipient of something that someone else has had, or maybe you've been the one who's been giving something to someone else who may be in need. We all are probably familiar with this idea of, of getting hand-me-downs. I, I remember the, the first hand-me-down that I can recall is when um, my parents had gave me a hand-me-down vehicle. It was a 1984 Chevy Chevette. Um, you couldn't even close the door. You actually had to hold it up and close it in order for you to shut it. it the, the, the door, the, the car had a story to tell. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's been through some things. And, and so it was handed down to me. And as it was handed down to me, the, the, the legacy that the things that have happened in it, the, the dents that were in it, the scratches that were in it, they, they all came with me. We, we all are familiar with these things um, such as, as hand-me-downs. I, I also remember one time when, um, when my dad, he, had, he had came to me. We were, we were cleaning out the basement um, one day and he had this bag. And he walked up to me and I said, I said what's, what's, in the, what's in the bag? And he said, he looked at me, he had the biggest smile on his face. He was so filled with so much joy and so much excitement. It was almost like he had this gift that he wanted to bestow upon me. Me forever being the appreciative son, I, I smiled and, and I could see with anticipation that he wanted to hand this thing to me. So he set it up br brilliantly. He said, son, I, I found this and, and I forgot all about it, man, but I want, I want to gift it to you. At this point, I'm, I'm thinking that this is an heirloom of some sort. I'm believing that it's something that has such significant value that it's going to immediately allow me to move forward in my life. And, and as I open it up, first and foremost, it, it smelled like something died inside of it. Real talk. So I, I smell it, and I kind of take a step back, and I, and I say, okay, like, was it a pet that you forgot to give me? Like, what, what's, in the, what's in the bag, Dad? He said, he said no, like, just, just go in there and, and take it out. So I pull it out, and there's this old, decrepit um, leather coat. Just, it just, it just smelled, it, it's, it smelled like it'd been through some things. Like it's, it's, it's a coat that's been around for a long time. And so as I'm picking it up and seeing how, how petrified it is, he's looking at me with this smile on his face, waiting for me to show this jubilee and excitement. And as I receive it, 
I'm not sure if you've ever had to like lie with your emotions before, but it's, it's something that, that's very uncomfortable. And nonetheless, I got really good at it. I said, oh my gosh, like this, this is awesome. Thank you, thank you so much for, for thinking of me. Um, like, what, what is it? And so he said, hey, like this, this is the leather coat, man. I had this when I was young. When I got my first paycheck, I went and bought this, man. Like this, this was something that, um, that means a lot to me and I want to gift it to you. I, I think you could actually still wear it. Man, won't you go ahead and try it on? So, so here I am with this dilemma of, okay, do I put this stinky old leather coat on to mess up my clothes and honor my father, or, 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 do, I, or do I lie to him? I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll put it on. So I, I put it on, it, it didn't fit right, it was very stiff, you could clearly see it hadn't been worn in a long period of time, and so he walked away so filled with joy, and I, I peeled it off of me, and, and I, I bowled it back up, I put it in the bag, I threw it in a corner, hoping that he would never find it, and I went and showered for two hours. Like, I just, I wanted to get the stench off of me, but it was a hand-me-down that I saw no value in. And so here's the thing, like, many of us have probably have encountered things that have been given to us that we just didn't see the significance and the value in. We sing things that are like, I don't, I don't want this, this is not comfortable, it's, it smells funny, it doesn't fit me quite right, I'm not gonna take it with me, and, and, and that's the dilemma that we have here. But when we look at this text right here, we have to understand that, that, that Joseph had proclaimed that the children of Israel were going to spend about 400 years inside of Egypt. Now, I can imagine that with the first generation, when they said, hey man, like if anything happens, we got to make sure we take the bones of Joseph with us. Okay, that, that makes sense maybe for that immediate generation that, that was right there, that immediately heard those instructions but then that generation dies off and then the next generation comes up. So as that generation is dying off, they had to do the exact same thing that Joseph had did with his brothers and saying, hey, listen, we're gonna be here for a while, but, but when we leave, make sure we take the bones of Joseph with us. It, it, didn't, it doesn't make much sense and I'm pretty sure as you get a little bit further and each generation gets a little bit further removed from the original source, it doesn't make any logical sense why we would take something that was dead, decrepit, and decaying into a new season because doesn't Paul tell us to forget those things which are behind? It doesn't make any logical sense on why we would take these bones with us. But nonetheless, 400 years later, Many generations have come and gone, but now the moment for the children of Israel to be liberated from Egypt has finally come. And now that it has finally come, we see that the Bible tells us that, that the Israelites were given permission and favor to go and basically ransack and loot all the Egyptians' homes. So they're going in and they're grabbing all the jewelry. They're grabbing all the gold. They're coming out dripping. They got everything that they can get. They're filling their bags up with everything they can find. But the Bible says that Moses went to the coffin of Joseph, opened it up, pulled his bones out, and puts it inside of a bag. And instead of him bringing the resources from Egypt, he decides to bring the bones of Joseph instead. It was passed down to him. It was a hand-me-down tradition, but nonetheless, he still wanted to honor it. I'm pretty sure that some of the Israelites would have saw Moses with with these bones and say, hey man, listen, we could have used an extra set of hands and get this money. Like that's, that, that's what would help us a whole lot. Like these bones, they don't have any value, but I believe that there was a leadership and a grace that was on Moses that allowed him to understand that the, moan, that the bones meant something. You see, bones represent promise. They, they represent strength. They represent stability. They represent structure. You know, connected to bones is the actual DNA of the person who lived. 
So we can understand that as they're taking the bones with them, they're taking the presence of Joseph with them. They're taking the favor that was on Joseph's life with him. Like we understand that, we, that, that the power doesn't die just because someone takes their last breath. You, you, you don't believe me? Let me show you where I got, I got Bible for this. I got Bible for this. Second Kings 13 tells us about a prophet named Elisha. And what the Bible says about him is that he died and he was put inside of a grave. Many years later, there were some soldiers and they were under attack. They were under duress and they said that they threw the body of a dead man on top of the bones of Elisha and he came back to life. That means that there was power even in his bones. There was power in an anointing because in the bones is the DNA, is the character, is the favor of the person that once was alive. What we see that Moses, as he begins to bring, he's bringing the stability, the favor, and the strength that was with, that was with Joseph. You see... Sometimes the strength from the previous season will provide stability in the next. But, but what, I've, what I, I can imagine as they are giving the freedom to, to hurry up and get out of Egypt, they could have been in a rush and they could have completely forgot to take it with them. You see, don't be in such a rush to get into your new season that you forget the foundational things that sustained you in the past. You see, we, we live in a world where we have so many things and resources at our disposal that we don't, have to, we don't have to actually work for anything anymore. We have instant gratification. It's at my fingertips now. I don't need to actually read my Bible. I could just Google the verse. So it doesn't allow the journey of me beginning to examine the scriptures to get into my heart and be embedded in my mind because I haven't had to go through the process. Now, I'm all for it. Let's start and do some new things, but let's not become so innovative that we're no longer effective. Because the Bible, the Bible that I read, it does not say that the innovative prayers of the righteous availeth much. It says that the effective prayers of the righteous man availeth much. That means that sometimes, no matter how advanced our civilizations get, I'm going to continue to be a person that knows what it means to continue to read the word of God. I'm going to be a person that continues to take the traditions with me that I have seen through my parents. What would it look like if we were a people that still prayed like we, did, like we didn't have the resources? What would it look like if you continued to pray like you couldn't pay your bills? What would it look like if you continued to pray like you really didn't need that breakthrough and miracle? Don't go to get on the other side and forget to bring the foundational things with you that sustained you in the previous season. You know what ends up happening a lot of time is that, we, is that we're praying that we get married, but then when we get married, we stop praying in the marriage. What happens a lot of times is that we're praying for a family, but when we get our family, we stop praying for our family. We pray for a provision, but when we get the job, we stop praying while we're in the job and wonder why we're so miserable with the job, and now we're praying about a new job, but if we can honor God in the job that he gave us, then maybe we could have more influence. You see, what Moses was doing when he was bringing the bones of Joseph with him, he was bringing the favor and the grace that was on Joseph's life with him into this new season. I believe that we can examine this all day and unpack an incredible series, but I want to identify a couple of things that I believe that no matter what season you're going through, that you want to carry these things with you. The first thing I believe that it's important for us to always have is to always have dreams. To always, to always have, to always have a dream. You see, when we, when we look at the narrative of Joseph, and we understand the context of his story, we understand that he's a man who has been identified as a dreamer. Now, let me, let me translate that for you a, a little bit just to give us some context. Dreams were often 
considered visions as well. So having a dream or a vision, Moses was going to need that as he was going into a new season. He needed to have a fresh vision in front of him. You see, with, with, with Joseph, he, he was a man that, that had some amazing dreams. He, he had some incredible dreams, but his, his name means the Lord will add. But let's examine Joseph for a second. Because what we know about, what we know about Joseph is that he was, his, he was his dad's favorite son. Now, I, I, got, I got several kids, and, and I, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that one is, is my favorite. I guess the one that's listening today would be the one that's my favorite for the moment. The one that needs the least amount of money is my favorite right now. But, but, but for, for, for Joseph, he, he, he clearly identified, he was clearly identified as being his father's favorite. And as a result of that, his dad had given him this amazing, colorful jacket. Now, here's the thing about that. He was the second to the youngest, but he was given this jacket that would typically be given to the oldest son or someone who was a master in their own household. So as he's walking around his family's house, he is wearing the garments of leadership, even though he is not supposed to be a leader in the household. He had favor on his life. It's clear to see that his dad had favored him. So you could understand that there's really no reason for him to have dreams because he's already doing pretty good. You know, a, a lot of times we, we, we're doing pretty good, so there's really no reason for me to advance or try for anything else because right now I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good. But here's the thing that I think can often happen to us. The thing that can keep us from achieving our dreams is just being in proximity to them. If, if I'm close enough to them, then maybe, maybe that's good enough. But, but what, if God, what if God wants more for us? Let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. My, my family and I, we, we flew in here from, from Washington, D.C. just a couple of days ago. And as we were preparing to come here, just like you would typically do whenever you travel, you, you look and see what the weather is going to be for where you're going. Because you always pack for where you're going, not for where you are. Another message for another time. You always want to be prepared for, for where you're going, not for where, not for where you are. And so as my wife is looking at the forecast and, and planning some things out, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're, we're going for about five days, so I'm, I'm, I'm packing accordingly. My wife, on the other hand, she packs for every contingency known to man. So as she is packing, she is bringing three different outfits for each day. So if it rains, she got options. If it snows in Jacksonville, Florida, she, she got options. If a zombie apocalypse breaks out, she got options. No matter what's going on, she packs enough that she has a lot of options. And then it's inevitable that when I pick up this bag that is so heavy, I'm the one that's carrying it while she's walking with my carry-on. I don't know how I got that into the deal, but this is my reality. Welcome to my world. So here we are. We're, we're at the airport, and as we come to the airport and we're checking our bags, that moment of truth happens when you put your bag on a scale and you're looking over to, to kind of see if you tip the scales at all. I see that we're at 53 pounds in which then the customer service rep looks at me almost with joy in her eyes saying, you're overweight. I know, I'm hitting the gym, stop judging me. <laughs> but they're telling me, they're telling me that, I'm, that I'm overweight and, and, and I have to take some stuff out if I expect to do this. Otherwise, I can just keep the three pounds there and pay them $1,000 extra. So it's actually cheaper just to check another bag. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so I take the bag out and now I have that moment of shame moment where you are opening up your bag in the airport with a million people walking around and you're trying to shift things around as people are walking by, judging your choices and everything that you have inside of there and making you feel super uncomfortable. But nonetheless, we get everything situated, we get the stuff out, we put it on the, we put it on the airplane, everything is good. But when we arrive at the airport, we get the baggage, we're, we're all there, but 
Technically, we haven't made it to our destination. We just made it to a location. What would it look like if I got the baggage, but I actually never left the airport? Because technically, I made it to Jacksonville. I, I made it to where I wanted to go. But the problem is, now I got these bags with me. They're heavy. They're burdensome. They're cumbersome. They don't make any sense because what I'm carrying can only be expressed if I make it to the destination that I had a vision for. But if I don't make it to that destination, all I'm doing is walking around with these bags and they haven't had an opportunity to express themselves. Listen to me, church. I believe that God has downloaded vision and dreams in our hearts. And unfortunately, we get content with getting to the location and not getting to the destination. Because if we can get to the destination, the dreams and the vision that God has put on your heart, you're able to unpack it and you're able to express it. But God has called us to not be content with where we are. You see, what God has put inside of you, he said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future. That means don't you become complacent with where you are because complacency is the enemy of ambition. What I'm going to do is that I know that God has a next step for me. No matter what season I am in, no matter how good my marriage is, I know that it could get better. No matter where I'm going, I'm going to always be looking forward. I'm always going to dream forward. I know that God has a next step for me. Listen to me. No matter where you are, God has a next step for you. The Bible says we go from glory to glory. There's another glory for you. And things may be good now, but the grace that's on your life, God wants you to take it and understand that there's a next level for you. Don't you settle. Don't you give up. What would it look like? Yes, go ahead and go back to school. Go ahead and start that business. Everything that you're carrying, God wants you to unpack it, but you got to get to the destination and not be content with the location. You see, God has a, he truly has a next step for you. And what we understand about, about Moses as he was navigating through the wilderness, he needed to have a vision in front of him. Because if he did, and when times got tough, when the challenges came, it would have been easy for him to become content and say, man, you know what? We got close enough to the promised man land. This is, this is good. But God's saying, no, I, I know the plans that I have for you. God has vision and plan for us. Here's the other thing that I believe that we have to take with us. No matter what season we find ourselves in, we have to take a strong dedication. We have to be dedicated no matter what season we may find ourselves going into. You see, as the children of Israel, we're going to begin to navigate through the wilderness they were going to interact with a lot of people who had a lot of different belief systems. And if they didn't have a strong, dedicated connection to God, they could have been very easily influenced, as we see throughout their narrative. You see, when we look at the life of Joseph, because they're taking the bones of Joseph with them, we see that he was a man who was incredibly dedicated. Let's back up for a moment. After, after Joseph has his famous coat stripped off of him and he's thrown into a pit, the Bible says that he is then sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and while he's in Egypt, he's working for this man named Potiphar. He's in his house. He has a, a lot of influence. He has a lot of, he has a lot of power. He has a lot of, he has a lot of things going on for him. So while he's there, he continues to move forward in his life because even though he's not where he wants to be, he still functioned with excellence. Even though he was not in his dream job, he still functioned with excellence. Even though he didn't have everything that he wanted to have, he still functioned with excellence. And so as God saw this excellent in his stewardship and his dedication to him, God continued to advance him. But what the Bible says is, as he continued to be elevated, he started facing more temptation. Because it seems the higher we go, the more the enemy loves to attack. So now here he is working inside of Potiphar's house. And what the scripture tells us is that Potiphar's wife is checking for Joseph. She's she, she, she sliding in his DMs, guys. Like she's saying like, hey, hey, boy, 
um, the Bible says that he looked good. Like, so when the Bible emphasizes things like that, man, he must have like looked like an angel. Like she was, she was about that life. She's sliding in his DMs. He's like, hey man, don't at me. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get down like that. But look at his response when she says, like, hey, let's take this relationship to the next level. His response is, I can't do this great wickedness and sin against God. He, he doesn't say sin against my master. He doesn't say sin against my own morality. He says, I can't do this and sin against God. So what that means is because of my connection with God, that determines how I interact with people. I think a lot of times what happens is we're trying to make decisions daily on how to do the right thing and avoid the wrong thing. But if we can stay connected to the right source, it's not a matter of me needing to make a decision from day to day. I am dedicated to the right source. You see, here's the thing. You can't resist the devil and submit to him at the same time. Because he was dedicated to God, that dedicated means convicted. That means strongly convinced. That means to put your weight on. So it literally means when it says to resist the devil, it means that he put his weight on God. Because if we don't put our weight on God, then we're going to lose balance and be thrown into temptation and end up surrendering to it. So because he had a strong, dedicated connection to God, even when temptation came, he was able to resist it so wonderfully. You see, a, a dedicated life is a life where we, we demonstrate our, our loyalty to God. A, a dedicated life is expressed many times when, when we find ourselves in covenant with God. See, what a dedicated life looks like, here's what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. It says that when we are baptized into Christ, that we put on Christ Jesus. That means that we're dedicated to the uniform. I'm committed to wearing this thing. So when I am baptized into Christ, I am wearing the uniform of Christ. I am wearing the righteousness of Christ. I'm wearing the authority of Christ. I'm wearing the anointing of Christ. I'm walking in the power of Christ. And so the way that we strengthen that dedication is when we do take communion. I'm, I'm dedicating myself. I'm set apart. I'm different. I'm other. I'm, I'm sacred space. This is what we're seeing when we talk about being dedicated to the things of God. You see, Jesus didn't die for us to blend in. It's, it's so difficult for us to impact a world that we're impersonating. But God has called us to be set apart. He says that we are a royal priesthood, that we're holy and that we are set aside. What God is saying to us is no matter what season you go into, I need you to remain dedicated to me. I'm not talking about works, but I'm talking about allowing God to work in you. I'm talking about allowing us to have this strong discipline where we can allow ourselves to be rooted deeply in the things of God. See, the way that we strengthen our dedication is by staying in the Word of God. You see, when we stay in the Word of God, it allows us to hear the mind of God and allow that to be translated into our hearts. Another way that we can strengthen our dedication is by the way that we praise and the way that we worship. Those things are not to be confused because they're two different things. See, my worship is when I come in with complete humility and I lay it all at the feet of Jesus. But my praise is when I exalt Jesus above everything else. So when I come in here with worship, I'm coming in with complete and total surrender. No matter what's going on in my mind, no matter my successes or my failures, I'm putting them at the feet of Jesus. But when I come in with praise and when I'm coming in with joy, I'm elevating Jesus above it all. So there's this tension of knowing that I'm strengthening my faith as long as I can surrender it and lift him up. If I can surrender it and lift him up. If I can surrender it and lift him up. If I could just surrender this thing and lift Jesus up, I'm strengthening my dedication to God. This is exactly how the process works. If I can just live in this space. See, holiness is not something that we do. It's just who we are. 
It's not a matter of trying to make the right or wrong decisions. Listen, we, a fish doesn't have to learn how to swim. It just does. You see what I'm saying? Like the, the, the water is in the fish, but the fish is in the water. So it just moves. And what we call this in the kingdom of God is called the reciprocal indwelling of Christ. I am in Christ, but Christ is in me. And because Christ is in me, I can move and I can flow according to the word and will of God. It's only when I am out of water that I fall into temptation. This is not about work. It's about us staying rooted into the things of God. But if I can stay rooted in the things of God, that means that I can endure any season. This is why there are so many illustrations and connections to the child of God with the olive tree. Because the olive tree can be thousands of years old. The roots can go deep and it can sustain and produce fruit no matter what season it's in. So that means that even if there is going to be a storm, I can still produce fruit. Even if there is a monsoon, I can still produce fruit. If there's a hurricane, my roots go deep, I can still produce fruit. Even if there is no, no rain, I can still produce fruit. What God is looking for with his people is that no matter what season you go through, is that you're rooted enough in me that you can produce fruit no matter what, but you gotta stay, you gotta stay dedicated. You see, with the children of Israel, as they were, as they were navigating through this, through this season, they knew that they needed to have their dedication. They knew they needed to be this, this people that was set apart and that was set aside. But, but here's, here's the third thing that I believe that we have to take with us in every season we go into, dominion. We're we about to have fun right now, y'all. You see, the Bible says that, that when Joseph was, was in Egypt, and even when he was falsely accused because he, he resisted Potiphar's wife, he was, he was then put into prison. I'm not sure if you've ever been in that situation where you felt like you were marginalized for doing the right thing. But because he had did the right thing, the Bible says that he was put into prison. But even while he was in prison, God had given him favor. So here he is, this man who is in prison, who's restricted, doesn't have the mobility that he should have, but yet God has still given him favor. Well, he ends up interpreting dreams for some guys, and, and so he says to them, hey man, as you're moving forward in your life, don't forget about me. Don't, don't forget about me. And you know what ends up happening? They forget about him. Two years later, still serving, still grinding, still, still functioning with excellence, but he, but he still feels forgotten. Maybe you've uttered those words yourself. God, have you forgotten about my situation? God, I have been giving, but I don't see the response yet. Have you forgotten? God, I'm not seeing the breakthrough that I'm expecting. Have you forgotten? But the beautiful thing is that man may forget you, but God will never forget you. God, God, will, God will never forget you. And so what we see scripturally is that God didn't forget. He ends up getting elevated into a position where he is given authority over the entire realm of Egypt. Being faithful, second to the king, and now he has all this authority over everything that he saw. He ends up literally saving and preserving his family. But, but let, let's go a little bit deeper. That description of the influence that Joseph had that's the same description that we see with, with um, Adam in Genesis, that dominion, that Genesis 1.26 where it says that we are to have dominion over everything that we are able to walk on. You see, the interesting thing about dominion is dominion means power. It means authority. It literally means to have the ability to tread on something. That means to trample something that is under your feet. This is why when we look in scripture and we see that the enemy is under our feet, it's because God has given us dominion. 
We see references to the power of, of how the heel will crush the serpent because he is under our feet. What God was showing us is that if we could be at a place where we understand that we have dominion, that means we walk in authority because the enemy is truly under our feet. The problem is we've become so fashionable that we cover up our feet and we lose the sensitivity of what is under our feet. So what ends up happening is we, we just don't see it, but God has called us to be a people that have dominion. Here's what we understand about Eden with Adam when he was in the garden. The Bible says that before he sinned, that he had the ability to name every animal as God had brought it into his ecosystem. That means that he had the mind of a supercomputer. Many theologians believe that Adam didn't even have blood in his veins prior to sin, that he was literally contained with the congealed light of God. That means he had such a strong connection that as he walked through the garden, that that the animals could not discern whether it was God or it was Adam because of the anointing and the dominion that he walked in. What would it look like if we actually became a group of people that were so connected to God that when we walked into a situation, the atmosphere literally shifted because God has given us dominion? What would it look like if when we walk inside of our homes and we hear that the adversary is attacking our children, that we recognize that he is under our feet and we begin to walk with the dominion and say, not in my home. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. What what would it look like if when we see that the adversary is beginning to attack our marriage, that we're not crying about it, we're just exercising dominion and saying that what God has joined together, let no man or no devil put asunder. Devil, you are under my feet. You cannot have my home. You cannot have my mind. You cannot have my finances. In the name of Jesus, I command you to get out of my home. What would it look like if we became a group of people that really began to function like we had dominion over the things that God has allowed us to see? We see throughout the course of scripture where the Bible says that wherever you place your feet, it will be yours. Where has God placed your feet today, church? What are the environments that you're walking in that you don't, that you don't sense and feel the, the power and authority? Maybe, maybe the thing that we need to do is, is to simply recognize that, that the enemy has already been defeated. He is already under our feet. He is already a defeated foe. All we have to do is exercise dominion. But here's the thing. We can't get to dominion if we don't first have vision. And if we don't get from vision, then we don't actually get dedication. If we don't have dedication, then we'll never get to dominion. They're all connected. If I have a vision and see what God says about me, and I'm able to be dedicated and not allow anything to break the fellowship between me and God, then I'm walking in the fullness of the dominion that God has given me. You see, I, I, wanna, I wanna close with this thought. Because there's something very interesting that I see in the life of Joseph as as, as Moses takes these bones with him through the season. But when we look at the, when we look at the life of Joseph, what, what we see is that for every critical and pivotal moment in his life, there was a wardrobe change of some sort. You see, when he, when he, was, with, when he was with his brothers when he was younger, the Bible says that they stripped the coat off of him and they threw him into an empty pit that had no water. We, we fast forward a little bit further, and now when he's in... When he's in the house with Potiphar's wife, the Bible said that he escaped with such velocity that he left his garments behind. So we see that this idea of the garments seems to be strongly connected to the life of Joseph. It, it, it seems as if everywhere Joseph goes, when there's, a, when there's an upgrade or maybe even a downgrade, that somehow the, there's a wardrobe change that takes place. And in each instance, we see that word strip come up. They stripped him of his coat. Maybe, maybe you're in a season right now where you feel like some things have, have been stripped away from you. 
Maybe, maybe you're in a season right now where it seems like you've been, you've been stripped of all hope. You've been, you've been stripped of all joy. But the thing that I believe that we can find encouragement in is that even though they stripped the coat off of Joseph, they couldn't strip the favor off of him. They couldn't strip the favor off of him because no matter where he went, the favor of God was still with him. See, what ends up happening is it's not so much what's on you, it's what's in you. And if we can be faithful to what's in us, then people will eventually see what's on us. You see, they can strip you of your position, but they can't strip you of your favor. They can strip you of your job, but they can't strip you of your provision. They can strip you of your home, but they can't strip you of your covering. They can even strip you of your car, but they can't strip you of the destination that God has taken you to. You understand that the adversary may try to strip some things from you, but he can't strip away your identity. He can't strip away your purpose. He can't strip away your calling. He can take away your title, but he can't take away from who you are in the kingdom of God. The adversary is trying to strip us down to make us feel as if we have lost our significance, as if we have lost our value. But I want to let you know, baby, that you are a child of God and the enemy cannot take that from you. No matter what season I go through, I am still a child of the king. No matter how many setbacks I have, I am still blessed. I am still called. I am still highly favored. So no matter where I may find myself, the hand of God is on my life. And I'm going to continue to walk this thing out until what's in me becomes evident or what's out of me. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to sway. I'm not going to swing and miss. I'm going to continue to be faithful because no matter where I am at, no matter what lies the enemy speaks, you cannot strip me of the calling of God on my life. They tried to strip him, but it was still with him. You see, here's the thing. As the children of Israel were navigating through all these tough seasons, the adversary wanted to eradicate their entire people group. But nonetheless, they still made it to the promised land. Here's what I want to do, church. I want to ask you to, to stand on your feet. I want to go into a, a moment of prayer in just a second, but I, but I have a question for you. Maybe you're in here today, and if you were to take inventory of yourself, you would say, Keith, there's, there's some areas of my life where I don't, I don't have the, the vision. I, I don't have the... I don't have the dreams. I don't have that next step. I don't know what my, what my next season is going to look like. I, I, maybe I, I left it in the past. Maybe I've, I thought I arrived and I didn't need it, but, but I know that there's a next step, but I just don't know what it is. Or, or, or maybe you're part of this other group where you're saying, Keith, I need to strengthen my walk with God. My, my dedication hasn't been quite what I, what I thought it should be. And, and, and I feel like when the winds come, I'm, I'm rocking a little bit to the left and the right too much. And I, I, I feel like I'm losing a little bit of stability. I don't feel like I'm, I'm connected to the right source. Or... Maybe, maybe you're at that place where you could say, you know, Keith, as I've been praying and processing, I don't feel like I have the, the dominion. I don't, I don't feel like I have the authority. I don't feel like I'm walking in freedom the way that, that God had intended it. You see, I believe that there's a, a grace in this place that no matter what your deficit is, that God is going to add. He's going to add increase. He's going to add blessings. He's going to add breakthrough. But it takes us simply saying, I'm going to make that next step. If that resonates with you, here's what I want to do. I want you all to come down to this altar right now. I want to pray for you and believe that the hand of God is going to move in such a significant way. It's simply you saying, God, I'm asking you. I'm asking you to move and add increase to my life. God, I'm asking you. I'm asking you to give me breakthrough. God, I'm asking you to give me vision. I'm asking you to give me clarity. I'm asking you, God, to, to let me know what my next step is. God, I'm asking you to allow me to walk in a greater level of dominion. You see, here's the, here's the thing that I've, I've seen, scripturally speaking. I see that the hand of God is moving. And I realize that there's many times where the adversary begins to convince us that, that you're done, 
There's not a next step for you, that, that there's not another level for you. And what I truly want to do is I believe that God is going to break some chains and, and reaffirm and provide some identity and some perspective for some of us in here today. Church, as people are coming forward, let's, let's stay sober-minded. Let's pray because some people, this may be their last-ditch effort to allow the hand of God to move. There's somebody in here tonight that said that this is my 911 distress call. God, if I don't hear from you today, I don't know if I'm going to make it till tomorrow. God is moving in this moment. Here's the beautiful thing about this whole idea of God moving in moments like this. You see, it's already with you. You don't have to strive for it. There's not, there's not a next step that you need to take. You simply need to acknowledge and recognize what God has already given you. Second Peter tells us this, that he's given us everything as it relates to life and godliness. He, he's not holding out. We simply have to recognize what's there. You see, when I was cleaning out my basement in preparation for another move, I, I found this old bag that I completely forgot about. And it was, it was filled with this old beat up leather coat that I didn't want. So I was prepared to, to throw it away, but then I decided, well, I'll give it away because maybe I can hand it to someone else and they can appreciate it a little bit more than, than I'm able to. When I, when I took it to, when I took it to, the, to the, the gift shop to give it away, the person looked at it and he looked at me and he said, hey, like, are you sure you want to give this away? I was like, yeah. I drove five miles to get here, man. I'm, I'm pretty committed to, to getting rid of this thing. But, but watch this. He said, this is, a, this is an incredibly rare, expensive coat. It's, it's literally worth thousands of dollars. So again, I ask you, are you sure you want to get rid of this thing? I said, man, give me my coat, man. What are you doing with my coat? Touch my stuff. Here's the thing. All this time, I had this incredibly valuable resource balled up in the basement, completely untouched, because I couldn't recognize that what I had had value. And what I believe happens a lot of times with us is that we have so many things and we have so much baggage that hasn't had an opportunity to express itself that we despise it and we don't recognize that you are already anointed. You are already blessed. You are already called. You are already healed. But the question is, what's in your bag? Are you willing to open it up and allow it to air out and begin to walk in the promises of God? I believe that tonight is going to be a night where we're going to be able to evaluate and see that God's hand is on your life. No matter what season you are in, no matter what setbacks you have had, no matter what your disappointments are, the hand of God is resting on your life. And when you walk out of here, instead of it being in your bag it is going to be on you you are set apart you are holy so here's what I want to do I want us all to lift our hands up and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to believe that the hand of God is going to move God you see every hand that's lifted up father I pray and declare in the name of Jesus for healing to break forth Lord you know the people in here God and you know what their burdens are and father I command for there to be a breakthrough father I pray for those who lack vision that you give them perspective and let them know that there's a next step for them that you have dreams for them God that their life is not wasted that they do have another vision in the next step for them God I pray that you give them visions you give them perspective for them 
the seed that they are called, they are valuable. And no matter what setback they have had, there is no thing that can take them away from being a child of you. Father, I pray for those who are wavering in their dedication. Maybe they're connected to the wrong source, but in the name of Jesus, I command for every false idol to be torn down. I pray that we connect to the right source and recognize that we're your image is God and we have dominion and authority, Father. I pray for every burden and every room that the adversary is tempting us in, God. I pray that we recognize that he is a defeated foe. He is under our feet. We have authority and freedom. We don't have to beg for it. It is already in our bag. We're going to take it out. We're going to allow it to express itself and we're going to see the resurrected power begin to manifest itself in our homes right now. In the name of Jesus, anything that is not like you, I command it to be removed. In the name of Jesus, I command for the adversary to take his hands off of our children. In the name of Jesus, I command for our finances to be loose. In the name of Jesus, I command for our dedication to God to be strengthened. In the name of Jesus, we are victorious. So in Jesus' name, we count it as done. Let's worship together, church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.